Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Dorian Linsky. While Britain is undergoing its own political crisis, in America, the House Select Committee hearings into the January 6th attack on the US Capitol are bringing to light startling facts about the last days of the Trump presidency. Here to explain what's going on is Dr. Julie Norman, co-director of the UCL Centre on US Politics. Hi, Julie. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Dorian. Nice to be here. So firstly, we call these the January 6th hearings, but obviously they're covering this two-month period following Donald Trump's defeat by Joe Biden in November. What exactly is the committee's remit? And are there things that it would like to cover that it's not allowed to? Yes, it's a good question. So the committee was set up in the House of Representatives in the Congress. It is uh, it is bipartisan. It has two Republicans and seven Democrats. And it's set up to look at exactly what you said, what unfolded on January 6th, but also what led up to that. So the aftermath of the election, what Trump and some of his allies were doing during that period, and then what ultimately unfolded with the attack on the Capitol. So they are looking at that whole picture with a are doing is trying to just gather as much information as possible. The committee was actually formed last year. So over the course of this last year, they've interviewed, I think, over 1,000 people and gone through over 100,000 documents. So this has been a very long process. And what they're doing now is just kind of showing the highlights of that through these public hearings. Right. So, I mean, we're going to get to her later, but when there's a sort of bombshell testimony like Cassidy Hutchinson, this is this is based on behind-the-scenes interviews she would have done months ago, but this is the public bit. That's exactly right. And the Cassidy Hutchinson one is actually interesting because they spoke with her multiple times starting back in February, but the last interview was actually, behind-the-scenes interview was in June after the hearings had started. And it was in that one that they said, okay, there's more here that we need to see if you would say this all publicly. So there's actually still behind-the-scenes interviews unfolding as we're seeing the presented ones coming out to the public at the same time. And who is on the committee? Yeah, so the committee is made up of different representatives from uh, from the House of Representatives, so different congresspersons. It's headed by a Democrat, Benny Thompson, from, um, I think, from Mississippi. And the vice chair is, quite importantly, Liz Cheney, who was a high-ranking Republican. She has gotten a lot of flack in her party for mm. standing up to Trump, standing up to the attack. And she has been the one leading a lot of the questioning of Republican aides and, uh, and, and spokespeople uh, m- most broadly. Um, this also is it Adam Kinsinger. Yes. So there are uh, again a total of nine, two Republicans and seven Democrats, and from uh, all across the country. 
Now, I read an interesting piece recently uh, about how Kevin McCarthy, minority leader, played hardball with the composition of the committee, which means that there are these two Republicans, but no Trump allies. And this has been called, in retrospect, a massive miscalculation. Do you think that if he had allowed a couple of you know, pro-Trump Republicans to sit on the committee, they could have seriously derailed the hearings with, you know, sort of mischievous lines of questioning and so on. Well, that was the concern. And so actually what had happened was uh, the Republican leadership had proposed very strong pro-Trump supporters to sit on this committee. The Democratic leadership, especially Nancy Pelosi, rejected that and said, you're going to make a sham of this committee. We aren't going to, uh, you know, allow these like super pro-Trump people. So again, I think right now the committee is probably doing better work than they would have with those who would otherwise have been quite obstructionist. But it has raised the question of legitimacy, and it's allowed for Trump and many of his allies to to suggest that this is partisan, to suggest that it's just, uh, you know, going after him, a witch hunt sort of thing. But overall, I think they're trying to present as bipartisan, even though it's obviously not having that part of the Republican Party represented. Could McCarthy have sort of played it more shrewdly and had people who were more Trump sympathetic, like you know, a lot of Republicans without being kind of real sort of like headbanger fans and and, and made his kind of his sort of sabotage a little more subtle. Yeah, I think in retrospect now, seeing how the committee is laying out this very well curated uh, case, if you will, and I'll say more about that later, you know, I think McCarthy probably uh, probably is rethinking that and, and even the Democrats too, you know, what, what would this committee look like if the composition was different? Obviously, we don't know what's in McCarthy's head. He's flip-flopped a lot with his own uh, sentiments and actions towards Trump, but it is clear that this is uh, moving probably a different direction than some may have seen a year ago. And for people who have been following it, you know, there have been interesting revelations all along. But it was Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, which was so explosive. Why was that? Why was that the point where the hearing sort of achieved liftoff? And you're suggesting there that the reason why they didn't sort of lead with her is because actually they didn't have that information when they started. So, So what was it that made that like an international story for people who weren't following it. Yes, indeed. So Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was quite crucial because she was an aide to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff to Trump. And in that role, that meant that she was present in the White House in the West Wing, in very close proximity to Trump for many of the days that we're talking about, but specifically on January 6th. So she saw the way things were playing out, and she was able to observe uh, the president's actions or hear things very immediately afterwards. And she was able to kind of connect the dots that the committee was sort of lacking. A lot was implied about Trump's actions, but she could actually say, I observed them reporting that the uh, crowd was armed and Trump was, you know, it's still encouraged them to come forward. She was able to relay an account of Trump wanting to go to the Capitol with the crowd and was able to um, also relay that Trump did not act when things were starting to unfold and, and several other things as well in her testimony. But the the key to hers was that she was there on that day in proximity to Trump and his closest advisors and that eyewitness kind of account had been missing before. And has 
have those claims been supported by other sources? I mean, do they, do, do they need to be? Yeah, this is a really important question because, again, some of Hutchinson's accounts were firsthand, but some of them were secondhand, um, especially this account of Trump trying to grab the steering wheel mm. from his Secret Service officers and, and drive to the Capitol. That was relayed to her by someone else, by, uh, by someone else who was in the car. So that account in particular has been challenged. With that said, no one else has come under oath to challenge that statement. And the committee has sort of invited anyone who would like to come and challenge that under oath to do so. And what interested me was that that some people challenged that claim, but sort of didn't challenge the other claims, which, which then made you think, oh, well, the other ones, they're almost sort of accepting a true and it's almost like, well, if, if the you know the steering wheel one is not the one on which the whole case rests, well, it? that's exactly, and that's the committee's response to some of these challenges: is saying, look, whether that piece or not was exactly as she heard it told to her. What we are seeing is this picture of a very um, unstable, paranoid person who was not acting uh, at all in the best interest of the country that day, and, and implicating Trump in many other ways. I mean, there's a nice analogy that, that John Dickerson on the Slate Political Gabfest uses that, that Trump, it, during this period, during November, December into January, was like somebody trying to break into a house and just trying all these different routes. And that actually, January the 6th was like the, the, the desperate last-ditch attempt. So there were all these other things that he, he was trying. Are some of those efforts to overturn the election results more troubling than January the 6th itself? Perhaps because they they had more chance of working. Yeah, this is such an important question, I think, because obviously the visuals of January 6th were so just, uh, you know, just just captured everyone's attention. But really what was playing out in the weeks and months before was just as crucial, if not more. The extreme pressure that Trump and his allies were putting on uh, state-level officials, that they were putting on their own Justice Department, that they were putting on Vice President Pence, all of these efforts were actually ones that, if key individuals had acted otherwise, this all could have played out very differently. And we actually could have had a, a very, um, you know, a, a, a situation where the, the results themselves were were challenged even more than they were. And it also just exposed, I think, some holes in the U.S. system mm. and uh, places where Trump really tried to exploit. And, uh, and so we are seeing some separate legislation move through Congress right now to try and close some of those to prevent what Trump was doing uh, to, to happen again in terms of pressuring state officials or changing the count on that day in the Capitol. And are these weaknesses that people had just not noticed before because you didn't have a president who refused to admit defeat and was trying to sort of strong arm local election officials or you get the vice president not to certify the results that... It's just you didn't notice that there were these holes. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, the Election Act that the current processes are based on dates back to 1887. So it's been there for over 100 years. You know, processes then looked a lot different. But as you stated, we've never had a situation where the, uh, you know, where there was a challenge to the results, where the, uh, the losing candidate did not concede. And so it just hasn't been an issue to say, don't go and pressure state officials or don't try and change the count on the day that it goes to Congress and the Capitol because those rules were just always followed as um, as a sense of, of forma before. Yeah, I was just reading about the 1960 election when it was between Nixon and Kennedy, when it was really close. And there was actually, you know, we later found out evidence of some real skullduggery, you know, in the, in the Kennedy camp. And yet Nixon on the night 
was like, we're not going to drag, he sounded almost heroic in retrospect, it's like, we're not going to drag America through this painful process, I'm going to concede. Yeah, I mean, we have these historical examples where looking back, you could see where others could have tried to exploit these kind of holes as well. But again, there was just this sense of even even some presidents that maybe <laughs> fell in popularity later, such as Nixon. Yeah, yeah. But still, we look back to them as saying like, oh, gosh, there's so much more they could have done now and seeing what Trump did that um, that we see that people did, you know, at least concede the election before. He's like as a one-man stress test for the American system, isn't he? Uh, seriously, and and it's uh, and I think that has been quite sobering to many, especially policymakers and lawmakers, that like this could have again gone so differently if even a few individuals had caved to that pressure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm trying to put aside my, my own bias here. There is ample sort of <laughs> firm evidence here of, of basically an angry, desperate bully pressuring officials, pursuing conspiracy theories, sort of hand-waving at least a, a violent mob. How on earth are Fox News and Republicans spinning this? Like, in, in, how do you downplay this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I will say Fox has been a bit of a mixed bag. They are now showing the hearings. They they opted to not show the first, but they are showing them now. And some of their spokespeople, especially um, Brett Beyer, I think, has actually um, commended the, the work of the committee and saying, okay, they're actually... But again, most of the uh, Fox perspective is obviously very different. Mm. One thing that's very different, just if you look at coverage, is how much more play this is getting on CNN and most of the other networks and papers than it is on Fox or conservative um, uh, sources. So partly it's just a lot of uh, those who are Trump followers are simply not seeing the same extent of coverage. They're really having to opt in to watch it, so to speak, on Fox at those, those times that it's on. And the way that it's being uh, kind of justified, if you will, is a couple different things. One is people are, again, seeing it as a partisan witch hunt against Trump, um, despite the fact that Cheney and, uh, and, um, and, and others are on the committee. It's this idea that this is just a way to tarnish Trump going into the next election season and to try and, uh, and, and, and get him off the ballot and whatnot. And the other thing is that it's just trying to distract the country from other issues like inflation or the economy. So we really hear the conservative sources kind of pushing on that um, mm, side of mm. things, saying, why are they why are they kind of messing around with the sideshow? Why aren't they focusing on, again, crime, inflation, the things that are affecting you, the voters, the Americans? And why are they looking backwards to something that happened, you know, one and a half, two years ago and trying to bring this back up as a political wedge? Right. So none of those are good arguments, but they are the arguments that they have. That is exactly (laughs) right, yes. And at the very least, you know, the hearings will get on the historical record what happened. And that is an important task in itself. What are the other potential goals, maybe unspoken goals? What's the sort of best case for people that would like to see um, Trump either brought to justice or at least stopped from running again. Sure. So um, 
This is important to emphasize that the hearings are not a trial. So Trump can't be found guilty or not guilty by the committee. And there's no, you know, cross-examination. There's no, um, you know, examination of evidence. There's, uh, you know, Trump is not there to defend himself, that kind of thing. So it's not a trial. The most that the committee can do in terms of justice proceedings is recommend to our Department of Justice to pursue a criminal investigation of Trump and perhaps others alongside him. That would then be up to the justice to, to actually do a proper investigation. So that's one course. And it's we hear mixed messages, I'll say, from the committee about whether they are will opt to do that or not. The other option or uh, emphasis, I guess I would say, is to try and essentially persuade the court of public opinion to lay out the facts so clearly to the American public that makes it impossible for Trump to either be nominated again in 2024 or even if that goes through to not be elected in 2024. And so I would say those are the there's kind of the legal justice route, but more the public opinion route. And both of those um, are important, I think, for the committee. Yes, because it seems like that if he did become the candidate, whoever's running against him, whether that's Biden or Harris or somebody else, I mean, then their main line of attack will be able to say, you did this, like, we have found that you did this. The argument that people always make, and they, it's, unfortunately, they turn out to be to be right some of the time, is that, you know, the base doesn't care, the base doesn't care, you always hear that. So is there a sign, whether in polling or kind of, you know, statements by Republican congressmen, that you know, that the tide is turning a bit, that they're not going to denounce him, but that they might be sort of backing away. Right. And this is this is crucial because you're right. The base is not going to change their opinion. And the best point of, uh, of, of uh, focus, I think, for the committee is to try and shift enough people who are in that, you know, Republican but not super pro-Trump and just shift their uh, votes or, or their opinion enough. Polling right now has shown a very slight increase in those who see Trump as responsible, but only a rise of about 3% among Republicans. Wow. So it's very small. And again, that's partly due to the fact that many who, quote unquote, need to be persuaded are simply not tuning into the hearings or simply watching them with a very critical eye. So it's unclear if that will change. I think what is more likely is a what I think is a growing narrative among some in the Republican Party that whether you think Trump is guilty or not, whether you think he's responsible or not, is he going to be the most electable candidate in 2024? Mm. And so I think you'll start hearing more of that question of electability among Republicans rather than for or against Trump. And if there was to be a criminal prosecution by the Department of Justice, is it clear what those charges would be? So there are several that are being discussed, and I will emphasize that I'm not a lawyer, but I will just kind Mm. of try and map out what they are. The two big ones are conspiracy to defraud the United States and uh, to obstruct a congressional proceeding. So those are both obviously big ones. Um, The tricky thing with those, especially conspiracy to defraud, you need to show intent. And there has been some question as to whether you can prove that Trump intended to, quote unquote, steal 
the election or if he actually believed that he had won. And so a lot of the testimony in the hearing has been, it sounds so silly to be saying that, but a lot of the testimony has been focused so much on that point to show that Trump either knew or should have known that he lost the election. And they have been very, very intentional to draw that out with testimony from Bill Barr, his own attorney general, and, and others. So those are the big charges. The other ones that might come up is a um, a charge of um, essentially defrauding those using a, a fake fundraising scheme. So oh. he had an election defense fund that he did a lot of fundraising between November and January. And it's clear that a lot of that money was just going into his other uh, ventures and not into defending the, the election. So it, it seems much less severe than, you know, overthrowing the the country or something like that, but that is on the table. And within the last week or two, a potential charge of tampering with witnesses, because uh, witnesses like Hutchinson and others have reported that they have received um, threatening phone calls, pressure to, quote unquote, do the right thing by those affiliated with the president, with, um, with former President Trump. Again, all those, I think... It will be difficult in a court of law to some degree to to connect the dots directly to Trump personally, especially with tampering with witnesses, if he's not the one, say, making those calls. So there are many charges that I think common sense would seem to stick quite strongly. But um, you know, justice, I think, will will need to have what, uh, you know, what we might say is like the slammiest slam dunk possible to right. pursue some of these. Because it seems to me to be a lack of political will or a certain sort of political nervousness. I mean, obviously prosecuting a former president of the of the rival party is, I mean, that is a very serious thing. But I mean, do you, do you think that there actually could be a very strong legal case and that the Democrats will just decide this is going to become such a, a lightning rod and it could, you know, fire up the Republicans and this witch hunt or whatever that, you know, that actually justice doesn't really come into it? It's politics. Yes. So I think it's going to be a tough call for justice regardless, because if they don't do anything and it looks like there was, you know, evidence or or, or a clear, uh, you know, a clear crime committed and they didn't pursue it, that will, I think, look bad to, to many. But again, if they pursue it and don't have a super tight case or if they pursue it really just you know, devolve the next year or two into this very yeah. drawn out legal proceeding that may or may not go anywhere, that is a very big risk as well. It also sets kind of long-term president questions about a administ- like an administration going after the administration before it that some are hesitant to set. Um, and many are also just worried about just completely rifting the country apart. Right, because in, in the world of that precedent... You know, in a sort of timeline where, you know, President Trump came after President Clinton, then he would definitely have prosecuted her for something. Exactly. That, that right, that the next administration's Justice Department would just be just looking the whole time to uh, to find something to pick on the, the previous. So so there's some question about, you know, is this would this be possible to do and keep it as a one-off or would this be just opening the door to a Pandora's box? And uh, But again, I think... The other question, right, is this just enough to tip the electorate enough is a bigger question. And I would say it's unclear still to me if it will or not. I don't see it moving the needle enough. And, you know, Trump still polls very high when you ask Republicans who they would like to see on the ballot at 2024. His popularity has gone down. It's not as high as it used to be, but um, he's still he's still quite quite the front runner. 
So the Republican Party as a whole, and I am showing my bias here, is not coming out of this looking good. But but who is in this process? Who do you think has shown, you know, nerve and principle? Yeah, so I would say the committee itself has, I would say most people who are watching this with somewhat objective lens are are actually pretty impressed by what the committee has done. Um, again, if, if if you lean one way or the other too much, you obviously have criticisms. But for the most part, they have tried to keep this as objective as possible. They have relied very largely, again, on Republican testimonies and on aides and supporters who were around Trump himself. Uh, they have not just been, you know, kind of uh, trying to use this as a partisan exercise. Um, and they've also, again, I think just laid it out in a pretty well-curated way that really is telling a story. So I think the committee itself has shown that they have been doing good work, whatever the actual impact is going to be that on the electorate. The other people who I'd say have come out, um, you know, respectable are, are people who, again, made uh, made decisions to do the right thing on that day. I mean, obviously, Vice President uh, Mike Pence at the time, you know, whatever criticisms people have of him for other reasons on that day, his actions could have, you know, made or break, broken things uh, very differently. Several other Trump supporters, and then also the aides who have come forward and testified, and the, and the state level officials, but especially people like Cassidy Hutchinson, who was, you know, a, a young, I think, twenty five year old, um, you know, personal assistant who, you know, put herself in this national, international spotlight. Uh, when others would not come forward. And so we've seen some people who have made some courageous moves either back in January 6th or over the course of this investigation that speaks to what I see is, uh, you know, what people see is their sense of patriotism and commitment to, uh, yeah, to, to the government, to the U.S. and not wanting to see someone like Trump derail all of that. Yeah, yeah, that has been heartening because you you know that what they're going up against and the kind of flack Oh, that one exactly. Of these witnesses would be getting. Yeah, I mean Hutchinson especially. I mean the the stuff that's just getting you know thrown at her with her not just her testimony but like you know her her complete character and 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 she knew that going in. And I would say that Cheney has been very outspoken about trying to uh, um, deflect any of that. Mm-hmm. But um, but still, if you if you come forward with a testimony like that, it's uh, you know you know the wolves are going to be at you. Now, as I understand it, the next hearing is scheduled for July 12th. When are they expected to end and and how do they end? Yeah, so this is a bit of a uh, a question. So, right, the next one is set for next Tuesday, and it will likely be trying to draw links between Trump and the um, the armed uh, uh, extremist militias, if you will, that right. were there that day. So, um, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, these kinds of groups. I think there will be at least one more after that. But again, the committee has been pretty intentional about not committing to a firm schedule simply because they are, again, still getting some information even as these um these these public hearings are, are are being broadcast and as the hearings are being broadcast other people are coming forward and saying oh wait i have something too that i think might contribute to this and so there's some people coming forward and there's others that the committee is trying to get to come and talk to them still so i think the the next steps after tuesday will depend on who is in this mix of of who's coming forward and who they can get to testify most likely there will be one more, and I assume a um, a closing one over the summer by September. So we're expecting a written report from the committee by September, which is, of course, um, you know, less than two months before our midterms elections in November. So that will that will kind of be the time mm. the timeline, and I think they're hoping to have this 
hit um, as hard as possible going into that midterm election. Thank you so much for explaining all of this, Dr. Julie Norman. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed our conversation, please help spread the word by telling a friend, sharing it on social media or reviewing us on iTunes. Take care and see you soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Dorian Linsky. The producers were Jelena Sofronievic, Jacob Archbold and Alex Rees. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.